So here we go. It's the last sermon. Can I just have your attention for a little bit before you blow a gasket? Before you absolutely just overheat and run out the back door? What, what, really, what really do you think that I'm doing here? What do you think I'm doing? And, and if you think that I'm trying to get a church to grow, that's the wrong answer. I'm not trying to build a church. You got this all wrong. Jesus said he would build the church. So I'm letting him build it. And what I'm doing here this morning for the last few weeks, I made a, I made people mad. I've heard about it, wrote letters because I said, God hates sinners. And boy, I mean, they blew a gasket. Some left, hadn't come back. And then the next week, if they'd have come back, I gave them 25 scriptures in the Old Testament to prove that God said, I hate the sinners. He didn't say, I hate the sin. He said, sinners. Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He didn't say, depart from me, iniquity. He said, workers. And he just, absolutely, they just can't get past that. And then we talked about Romans 5. It says this, yet while we were, yes, sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And we put in context, who was he speaking to? Romans chapter 5. Let's put in context. He said, we that are justified and saved by his grace. And Romans chapter 5 goes through this. And Paul says this, and while we, who's he speaking to? The justified ones. While we were yet in sin, Christ died for us. We, we talked about this. He used the word us, ours, and we, not them and they. Do I believe in divine election? Absolutely. If you don't believe in it, then you can run out the door like everybody else. You'll get to heaven. God said, the boy was right. And there's a whole lot in that, whether you may or not. But here's the idea. Just because that you don't see it or understand it doesn't mean that it's not true. So, so where I'm going this morning I'm trying to show you in the nicest, kindest way that if you are saved by his grace, if you are called by his divine grace, it's a wonderful thing. And I'm very thankful because grace teaches me to be grateful, not great. So if you don't know this, let's just go ahead and show it. Revelations 2, this is not the sermon, but here we go. Revelation 2, verse 6. Here it goes. I want to show you before we leave the year. Revelations 2, and verse 6, or 3 and 6, whatever it is. Do we have that? Yeah, 2 and 6. I know we do. He said, dealing with the church of Ephesus, he said, you're all a bunch of knuckleheads. I mean, you got some good things going, but he said, write this letter to the angel of church, Agalos, the pastor. Usually what the pastor is, church will be. So straighten up, would you please? Okay. He said, you're doing some boneheaded things. And he said, the biggest problem is church of Ephesus, you lost and left your first love, which was me. But he said, this is what you do have going for you, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and which I also hate. For you people this morning that are just here because you think that we're just trying to get along, I'm not. God said, I hate them. I hate them. And this word hate is, is a word, absolutely it means to be detested, despicable. it means to be abhorred, it means to, it's an Old Testament word we get for provoke, not, makes me nauseous. Maseo is a Greek word for it. God said, you hate them and I hate them. 
It's not Nickelodeons. It's not like a cartoon network, Nickelodeons. So what is the Nickelodeons? It's two Greek words. Nico means to conquer, subdue, and control. And the second one is laity. He said, I hate any spiritual people that are trying to take authority and conquer and subdue common people. I've always tried to treat you. This may be my last year here, so you may want to just pay attention. I've always wanted to treat you as spiritual grown-ups. And God said, I'm against, I hate, I despise. It's despicable. Matter of fact, in the Bible, in Romans, I mean, Numbers 21, he said, they provoked him in the wilderness. The word provoke, it means to make him sick. It means to make him vomit. And before you say anything, remember what Revelations 3 and 16, he says this. He said, I spewed you out of my mouth. Ooh, ooh. Did you get that? Y'all are asleep over there. He said, what you're doing made me so sick that I, I will spew you out of my mouth. God says that. So the idea this morning is that to answer your question, does God have an enemy? God cannot have an enemy. We have an enemy. How can God have an enemy? He's sovereign. But the idea this morning is this, is that when you understand the antonym of a God, some people is, doesn't set well with God, their deeds, their, what they're doing, their action, but yet his love is set towards us. And he calls us beloved. And the word beloved in the Greek means it's an object of my love. And I will tell you this morning, and we'll carry this on till you all leave, but I will tell you, I'm so thankful this morning that I am a recipient of the love of God, that his love and grace hit me dead center because he said and intended for that to happen in my life. Now, everybody else, I don't know. That's why we keep preaching. That's why we keep serving. That's why we keep witnesses. But I'll tell you, I'm thankful that his love has targeted me and hit me dead center. So you're going to ask the question, so why is this all important? And I'm glad you asked. So before you jump up and leave, please just hear me out. We're going to talk about the seed this morning. What, what am I doing? What am I doing talking about divine election? What am I doing talking about God's love set for you? Does this anger a lot of people? Absolutely. But, but for the, we that are recipients of his love, that, that we're very appreciative of it, of the Father. Genesis chapter 3, 15, it all began in the garden. You know this. And he said, I'll put entry between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. A seed. And it shall bruise the head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now we know this is dealing with Satan and Jesus. Can we agree on that? Please say yes. Okay. So this is what she said, between your seed and his seed. Who is her seed? Please say Jesus Christ. Thank you. That's the seed. Not plural, but seed. And all from all the way from Genesis, all the way through Revelations, we have this seed. Now then, that seed was promised to Abraham in the Bible in Genesis 15 and 5. God made him a promise. God made Abraham a promise. 
And he said, out of your seed will come the promised child. That same seed, not seeds, but seeds. So in that, that Abraham at the age, tender age of 75 years old was kicked out of the house. Poor thing. He, on his birthday, he turned 75. And on his 71st, 75th birthday, his dad said, I think it's time you move out and get your own place. So at the tender age of 75, and she was 65, he moved out and he began to pursue and follow God. God gave him this promise that he, out of his loins at the age of 75, that he would produce the seed that was prophesied. And he said, good, I'm, and it was, and he believed it and it was accounted for him righteous. All right. So now then, 13 years later, he has a son. But it's not through Sarah. It's through Hagar. Hagar was the maid of Sarah. So let this sink in. Sarah was about, at that time, she was well up in years. Well up in years, 78 probably. And she hasn't, and, and, but Hagar was 18. So Sarah is wearing a muumuu and Hagar is wearing a bikini. And that caused some problems, I promise you. So 13 years after the promise was given, there was no child in sight. And so finally, he said, I think I'll just take matters in my own hands. And Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham 13 years later and had a son. And his name was Ishmael. Now, Ishmael was the, he, we referred to him as son number one. At this time, Abraham is 86 years old when he has Ishmael. And Abraham loved him. Matter of fact, his name means God has heard me or God hears. He was so convinced that this was what God had intended for. This was the promised son right here. 13 years later, after Ishmael was born, guess what happens? Sarah, at the tender age, when Abraham was 100 years old, Sarah now, Instead of went to the doctor for any other reason, she went to a gynecologist and found out she's pregnant. It shocked everybody. As a matter of fact, that she said, God, you made me laugh. And the word, the name Isaac means, God, you've made me laugh. That's what it means. So what's important about this and what I'm doing, and I need you to pay strictly attention to what I'm telling you. For about 11 to 13 years that Abraham raised this boy Ishmael, and he thought that that was the way to go. He thought that was the promised seed. He thought that was what God intended until something supernatural happened. Sarah became pregnant. Abraham now is 100 years old. And we know for a fact that, that Abraham, the boys lived together somewhere 13 years before Isaac was born and Abraham had a relationship with this boy. If anybody here has a boy under 13, you know, there's some bonding going on. Okay. So you can look at your own children. Some of us can look at our own grandchildren. You can say, I, I, I would like to see a halo, but all I see is horns. I understand. And, and raising Ishmael, Abraham is saying to himself, this is very important. Welcome, welcome to a, a college course in Christianity. Here we go. 
and Abraham raised him and loved him. And he said, God has heard me. And, and this, is, this boy is the, is the vehicle that God would use to bring about the promised seed. But God said, not so fast, my friend. Sarah comes home. She goes, I got good news and bad news. You might want to sit down. I'm having a baby. And Ishmael is now 13 years old and Isaac is born. Now, what gets interesting in this is this, that the boys grew together until about Genesis chapter 21, 8 through 10. And let's read this. For some of you don't know this. That the two boys grew together, the child grew, Isaac, and was weaned. The Jews had a custom between two and five years, they would be weaned what they refer to as weaned, two to five years. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned on a specific birthday. And Sarah saw that Hagar, the Egyptian, which had born unto him Abraham, mocking. Wherefore, she said to Abraham, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heirs with my son, even with Isaac. So here is the Bible story. He's raised this boy for 13 years. He's a product of Abraham. Abraham thought that this was what God had for him, to, the, the promised son. Now then, 13 years later, here comes Isaac. And the two boys lived together for somewhere between two and five years. And now Ishmael is anywhere between 15 and 17. And this boy is between three and five until they had a celebration and they lived together until, watch this, until the fleshly son began to mock the spiritual seed. This is where I've been going for the last six weeks. It'd have been easier if I'd have started here, but I don't ever do that. You would be surprised of the mocking that's going on right now with the virgin birth, the vicarious life of Jesus. You'd be surprised that the humanism is set in the church and we've opened up the door and every demonic spirit that comes in the name of God has moved into the church, but they have pushed the Bible aside. The Holy Spirit's not in them. And more than anything, they are not born again by the Spirit of God. And they are dictating to the church, what should happen? I had a conversation with somebody a while back, and this makes you mad? Join the club. They said this, well, I was born gay. I said, so was I. <laughs> and they go, do what? I said, yeah, I was too. See, they were trying to justify them being a homosexual in the church. I said, you can't, that's no such thing. They said, well, we were born this way. I said, so I was born gay. I was born a murderer. I was born a pedophiler. I was born a gossiper. I, I was born a cat lover, but God delivered me from all those things. And that's, what's this? We were born with that sin nature. That's why he told Nicodemus, you're born with all these things. That's why you've got to be born again. We were all born with a sin nature. Oh, you want to tag it, but I'm going to tell you right now, 
We have all been born with the impediment of sin. Of you, you can, and we talked about this, Joshua. Remember what we said? Pick you an addiction, a meth addict, a drunkard, a wife beater, a husband beater, a gossiper, a, a church hater. You were born with that. And we all agree. Maybe some of you forgot that, but that's why it's so important that we're not here to make a good man better. We're here to tell you God's here to make a dead man alive. We're born again. And when you get born again, those things change. These two boys grew up together between three and five years until, until the fleshly son and his mother began to mock the spiritual son. And I've been hearing about it and it's okay. My wife will tell you, I sleep good at night. Well, you're just too hard. God loves everybody. You're a little rough on us. I'm not rough on you. Well, I, I just don't think it's that way. Let's see what the Bible says. And see what happens is when they begin to mock the spiritual son, hey, Sarah at least had the sense to tell Abraham to watch this. This is going to shock you. But Sarah said, he's got to go. These two boys cannot live together. The fleshly son cannot cohabitate with the spiritual son. And Abraham, and this is what Abraham said. He said, but I love him. Let's, let's, let's just build on and love him. And she said, no. And God said this, you better listen to your wife. Neil, you better listen to your wife. Really? Galatians chapter number four spells this out, casting out the bondwoman. Now this really may kind of upset some of you, but for you that really, that are pursuing the life of Christ, here's the deal, that we're living in an age where the spiritual and the fleshly is added again. And it, and it really, it really frustrates a lot of people that walk in the back door of the church. But hear me, if you are born again of God, if you are God's seed and his son lives within you, I will tell you that the world is not excited. You gave your life to Christ. And so they want us to get along. So we'll go along. I'm not going to go along. So evidently we're not going to get along. We're going to get along as, as long as the word of God is the rule that we operate and we live and we love by. That's what I do in this church. And if people don't like it, I'll tell them, I was happy before you come and I'll be happy when you leave. But we will uphold the biblical principles. You can live like hell, you what you want to during the week, but yet you're an authority on scriptures when it comes to the church on Sundays. Wow. It doesn't work like that. It's amazing. You haven't been called. You haven't, you don't even read your Bible, but yet you want to tell me how to run this church. That's not going to work. God is in the business of casting out the bondwoman now. My job is to, is to, is to help you understand that the bondwoman has got to be casted out, not only of this church, but not only that, but our own lives. And, and so this is what the mocking was. The mocking was this. That 
telling Sarah that there's no different than my son, than your son, and, and, and it's all a bunch of superstition. And Sarah said, I won't put up with another day. He's gone. And she casting him out. My responsibility here at this small church is this. Keep in mind that Abraham, when he was dealing with Ishmael, he said this, can you see the, the can you count the, the sand on the ground in Genesis 14? And Abraham said, no. And he said, that will be the descendants of Ishmael, the Arabs. That's what he said. Still today. In Genesis 15, when Isaac was born, Abraham said this. God said, Abraham said this. Can you count the stars in heaven? He said, no. And he said, that's what this seed will be. One is earthly. One is heavenly. You understand? And there's no way that the, the heavenly can cohabitate with the, the fleshly. Doesn't mean that I'm better than anybody else. It doesn't mean that I'm more important than anybody I'm just here to tell you that for the last few weeks, we've been dealing with that the fleshly son, which was Ishmael, and the spiritual son, they could not live together because they were not in agreement. So Sarah had to cast out the bondwoman. Yeah. So what has that got to do with us? Everything. Because this is the deal. For some of us that was raised in a specific denomination of religion, I was raised in a Pentecostal assembly of God. I'm still going through therapy. Some of you is raised Baptist. Some of you is raised Episcopalian, Presbyterian, all the vegetarian, all of them. And, and, and thank you so much for coming here. And then once you come here, we, we butter you up and we love on you and, and we say we like you and you're smelling good. And then the reverend starts dropping the hammer on you. You know what we're doing? We're casting out the bomb woman in your life. So what does that mean? If you don't know this in the assembly of God, we really think, we, they really told us that we were it. The rest of you Baptists were not it. And in the Baptists, they told you you were probably it. I don't know what they told you. I didn't go to a Baptist church. I don't know what they tell you. But the idea of this is, here's the deal, that the fleshly side of religion and denominations, they teach you certain things that really didn't line up to the fullness of Christ. And here's the deal. It's okay to be raised up in church. We'll show you this. I'm glad for my heritage. I'm glad for my upbringing. Absolutely. They were my parents, you know, everybody else, the kids in high school, they could stay out to one o'clock in the morning. My dad said, be home by 11 o'clock or I'll come looking for you. My dad was a big guy. So I, I said, I'll be home at 11 o'clock. And I respected him. I mean, he's a World War II vet, drove tanks, got badges and bronze and medallions everywhere. I didn't want to cross him. But the idea, here's the deal. You can come in here with doctrines and religions and traditions, and we're glad you're here. But when the true seed is produced in this church, that junk has got to go. First Peter chapter one, verse 23 says this, that we are not born again by corruptible seed, but we are born again through incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. And Jesus is that word. And here's the deal. All this stuff and all these hangups and all these traditions and all these religions and all this stuff that's coming in here and we grew up in it and we carry them around and we, and we still quote it and we, and we still take pride in it. And that's all fine until 
the true seed of who Christ is, is revealed to us. And when that happens, ladies and gentlemen, I'm like Sister Sarah. The bondwoman has got to go because church tradition and Christ cannot cohabitate. Pretty strong. Because you're going to believe one of them and you won't, one of them you'll agree to and the other you won't agree to. And so what I mean by that is the fact that, and, and I know this is not really the message you want to hear, but it's, I like it. It's okay. I'm the, I want it to be said that the true seed lives in me. So, the reason when the light of who really Christ is in his sovereignty, when we begin to understand about his redemptive work through adoption, we talked about this, ex agorizo, that, that back then they were adopted not as infants, but as grown men. He knew what he was getting. Through the sovereignty of God through predestination and foreknowledge that God knew what he was getting. And not only did he know what he was getting, but he wanted us anyway. Man, how, no wonder I love him. So the bondwoman this morning has everything to do with tongues, interpretation, healings, water baptisms, catechisms, all this stuff. All this stuff is fine and needed to keep you on a, on a course. But when the true essence of Jesus Christ and the fullness of the fullness of the Godhead is made manifest to you, then here's the deal. I no longer will cleave traditions of religion I'm going to pursue the Son of God. And He's greater than any religion. He's greater than any denominations. He's greater than any hocus-pocus and abracadabra. He is the fullness of God Himself. And I pursue that. Galatians chapter number 3, verse 24 says it like this. The Apostle Paul tells you, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The word schoolmaster, pedagogue. The schoolmaster was not a place that he learned about Christ. The law was not really the place. The schoolmaster, pedagogos was the word. Padia was a boy between four and eight. And then the word synagogue, pedagogue. And so the word schoolmaster was this, is that when a young boy needed to go from the house to the synagogue every day, that only the trusted servant would take the boy by the hand, the pateon, and walk him to school by the hand. And when school was over at the synagogue, he would take him by the hand back to the house. No conversation, no debate, no argument. His job was from point A to point B with Addy. What'd you learn today? Well, let me tell you what you really should have learned. What did the rabbi say today? Well, he don't know anything. Let me tell you what he really means. A pedagogue or a schoolmaster wasn't the schoolmaster of a building. It, it meant the servant would walk the child from the house to the synagogue and from the synagogue back to the house every day. And he was faithful to do that because all boys are like this. From point A, you pass Brahms and the playground and Chuck E. Cheese. And you know, you get the idea. And then, they, and then they yell squirrel and off they are, so off they go. So they had to be held by the hand so they would not 
run off or do something else. So the servant would take him to the school and back. And every day, the boy would learn something along the way, but not from the servant. Until Christ was revealed. My strict parents, I'm thankful for it. A religious background, I'm thankful for it. Strict rules and regulations, I guess, I'm thankful for it. You know what it did? It kept me on the path. I'm not against any upbringing in church. I'm not against any assembly God, Pentecostal, Baptist, Presbyterian, vegetarian. I'm not against any of that because evidently that kept you on the path. But here's the deal. One day you come in contact with the fullness of who Christ was. And Apostle Paul said, I'm so thankful that the law was my schoolmaster. It kept me on the path back and forth and back and forth and kept me back and forth until one day that I was in church and went home, went back to church and went home until one day Christ was revealed to me and he said, I got it. And my prayer is that one day you'll walk in here and you'll get it. And if you haven't, got, if you've already got it, then you sh I'm glad you got it. But the idea this morning that we go through things and we, we, we go through traditions and we go through regulations and rules. And we had, you know, most of us, we never missed church. We went church on Sundays and Wednesdays and, and, and every night they had a revival. And, oh, we didn't want to go. We wanted to stay home and watch Walt Disney on Sunday. Everybody else got to football game. We had to go to church. I understand. But, you know, deep down, I'm thankful for it. It made me a better kid. I hated it at the time, but I guess it's good now. But somewhere in that process, God, by my parents or stick rules or regulation, he had me by the hand to keep me from going somewhere else. And now then I know it's nothing more or less than the provenient grace of God, that God's hand was on before me before I was aware of it. Gail and I had this conversation. We used to say our parents prayed for us, but now then we really know it was the provenient grace of God that kept us before we said yes or he said yes to us. That's why in a bar room full of bullets, one never hit you. That's why the drug overdose should have took you in, but it did not. Why? Because God's provenient grace had his hand upon you. It's great. So the Apostle Paul said, I'm just so thankful that all that I went through, that it kept me on the straight and narrow, if you would, until Christ was revealed unto me. So what are we doing here? What am I doing? What, what am I doing? And I'm here to tell you, I'm so thankful for whatever, what, whatever side of the track you was raised on. Some of you never even went to church. You're better off, I guess. But some of you was raised in church. I don't know. You're still mad about it. But it doesn't matter. My job as the minister of this church is to prevent, present to you the holiness and the deity of Jesus Christ and to live a life that is pleasing to him. So lastly, this morning, this is found in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. Say in Christ. It would be better if I explained the opposite to you. 
This word in Christ is a word called eyes, but it'd be better if I explain the opposite to you and you'll learn to appreciate the full meaning. Let's go to St. John 15 and verse five, one verse. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth more much fruit. And without me, you can do no thing. Nothing. It's no thing. See the word without? It's the opposite of within. Now, I did go to Long Grove, and I was not valedictorian, but, but I'll tell you, within is the opposite of without. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And without me, you can do no thing. Now I need you to listen up. Without him, we can do no thing. The word without is the same word in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without, koris is the word. Koris means to be separated outside of perimeters and boundaries. This is very important. And I'm going to explain this to you. He says this, without me or outside of me, you can do no thing. So the word without is wonderful meaning because it means this. Is there a difference between being inside the car or outside the car when it's hailing? Is it important when the neighbor's got a hundred pound Rottweiler and, and sees you as lunch to be on the outside of the gate instead of trapped on the inside of the gate? Yes. Does it make a difference when lightning is, is coming down constantly to be inside the house or out in the front yard? And the answer is yes. And he said, if, if, if you are in me, and the opposite means without me, outside the perimeters, outside of the boundaries of me and my word and my nature, you can do no thing. So can we, can we clearly say this this morning before we all go home and you scratch your head? Can we conventionally say this, that if we are in him, in his nature, in his likeness, in his image, in his word, that all things are possible and we can do all things through Christ who strengthened me because we have to be in him. Not him in us, us in him. Big difference. All right. I can explain it better. These simple little verses in Genesis. Genesis 1 and 11. God said, let the earth bring forth grass and the herb yielding seed and the tree yielding after its own kind and whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. God is speaking to the earth and he says, nourish the grass, nourish the herbs, and nourish the trees in the earth. So 
Where does grass, trees, and herbs grow? Please say in the earth. Verse 20. And God said to the waters, let the waters bring forth abundantly. Let it bring forth the moving creatures, it says. God is now speaking to the waters and said, nourish the fish and the creatures that are in the waters. And the last one is Genesis 1 and 26. Now then God is speaking to himself. First he spoke to the earth, then he spoke to the waters. Now he's speaking to the earth and he said this, let us make man after our own image and after our own likeness. God is speaking to himself or the three persons of the Trinity. And he says, let us nourish mankind that is in him. Why is it so important that God spoke to the earth and God spoke to the waters, then God spoke to himself? Is because watch this. When the grass and the trees and the herbs is taken out of the earth, she dies. You better pay attention. The trees and the grass and the herbs only grow because of being in the environment of the earth. You take it out and it doesn't die immediately. I mean, you, you can take a flower out of the ground and it isn't going to, I mean, it just, it, it takes it a while. Then he goes to the waters and he said, God spoke to the water and he says, let the waters nourish the fish and the whales and and all the creatures of the water, let that water be a source where they can breathe in and have life. But you take the fish out and put him on the bank. He dies. You can't put the grass in the water, it'll die. And you can't put the fish in the earth and it won't grow. God has specific rims for specific things to live. And he speaks to the earth and he said, the trees and the fields and, and these things will grow in the earth. But if you ever take it out, you'll die. And he speaks to the water and the fish can grow and the whales can grow and cats can live there. I know I put some in there. They can live there. But you take them out. And they die. Now watch this. But when it comes to man, let us nourish him. Let us provide for him. Let us be his source of strength. You only have life this morning because you are in Christ. Ooh. That's better than you're responding. But if we take you out of Christ and put you in the first church of the Presbyterians, you'll die. If you remove yourself from the deity and the, and the process of who Jesus really is and set you over here in the first Pentecostal holiness and their rule and their deduction and, and lengthen the dress and get that bun on top of your hair and for God's sake, get that makeup off. That's the first thing will burn in hell. You know that. That's what they told you. 
he'll die. Right now. Some of you are dying right now. I don't mean you just keeled over, but you have left the perimeters of in Christ, Christ alone. And you transplanted yourself back into somewhere else that you were never meant to be. And that's why that you're lonely and you're hurting and you're empty and you're hollow and life doesn't have meaning. It's only because that you took the flower out of the ground and you just stuck it and laid it somewhere. And day after day, you watch the petals turn brown and the thing wither away. Hear me and hear me loud and clear. I don't care what your upbringing was. I don't care if you never missed church in a hundred years. I don't care if you was valedictorians of, 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 of anything. I'm telling you, the only substance and nourishment that we have of life is in Christ. Not church, not music, not religion, not anything outside of Him. In Him is life. Wow. I wish somebody told me that 30 years ago. I'd have been happy. You know what they told me? Work harder. Speak in tongues. Run around the church. Oh, if you'll do that, you'll be happy. No, I was tired and confused. Get more people in the church. Make them all happy. No, that made a mess of things. The Bible said in Proverbs 4, 14, where there's no oxen in the stall, the more oxen you get, the stall gets deeper, you know. But several years ago, about 20 years ago, I began to understand the deity of God and the sovereignty of God. And I understand that it's only in Christ that once I remain in Christ, I have life. And Jesus said so secretly this, and without me, when you leave me, when you get out of that perimeter where you belong, you can do no thing, you can feel no thing, you enjoy no thing, because you belong in Christ. Wow. So all I ask God to do here is this. Just bring us back to the fullness of who Christ Jesus is and what he means to us. And we are saved by his grace. We are called from the foundation of the earth. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth. In the next few weeks, we'll talk about these men that knew and told you from the very beginning that God had called them and ordained them and separated them. And then when I learned this long time ago, that it made my commitment so much with more conviction towards Him. Are you hurting? Are you lonely? Are you empty? Don't answer that. Let's go back to being Christ. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. This morning, that Father, we, we've got to take the advice of Sarah. We've got to cast out the pond woman, child. The fleshly Ishmael's got to go. 
It, it, it did for a while. My upbringing was good for a while. Huh? But boy, when Christ was real to me, the Son of God, it, when I met him onto that road to Damascus, if you would, that he absolutely changed my life. And now then all I want to do is talk, breathe, teach, and declare that Jesus is Lord of my life. And when you spoke to the earth, you said, nourish the plants, take care of them, feed them, nourish them. When you spoke to the waters, you said that the waters will feed and nourish and supply the creatures in the water. But when you spoke to yourself, you said, I will take care of my seed. Father, for any this morning that may be stuck somewhere between point A and point B, they've been displaced. They've been uprooted. They've left, they left the central truth of who Christ is and, and they've moved somewhere else and they're gasping for air. They're gasping for life. By the Holy Spirit, just bring them back to you. We want to glorify you in the year to come. I want to make Christ bigger than I've ever had before in the year 24. I want to declare your goodness. I want this to be contagious in this church, that Christ is Lord of all. With humility and humbleness, that we'll serve him with integrity, that we'll follow out the will of God. That we want to be known as children of God and we want to, know, we, we want to be known at what it's like to be in Christ, in the perimeters and the boundaries and that we can have life. So Father, thank you for all that you've done for us this year. But we believe that better days await the body of Christ. And all the people of God said, amen. If you believe that, give the Lord a praise offering, would you please? Stand with me, turn to somebody and say, you know what? I think I'm gonna have to cast some things out when I get home, I guess. I got to kick them out. You may have a friend that's giving you some problems. You may have to just let them go. I love you, but I got to let you go. You may have a best friend that when you call them on the phone, all they want to do is gossip and this and that. And you may just say, you know what? I, I got to leave you. I got to, I got to kick you to the curb from now on. I ain't got time for that. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about what Jesus has done for my life. I want to tell you how Jesus changed my life. Your problem, some of you this morning, you're waiting for a church to do something. And the biggest mistake that we can make is expecting something to change us. Only God can do that. I can't change you. All I do is frustrate you, but God can change you. So once again, we have the privilege as we celebrate Holy Communion every Sunday. We have one more opportunity on the last day. Communion servers, please come. The reason we celebrate Holy Communion because we've been commanded to, that's why.
church doctrine is not a tradition of man. Jesus has commanded us to do this. So this morning, you don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to, you just, this is the Lord's table. This is coming to Christ by faith, understanding that he is the bread of life. John 6, Jesus said, 1,500 years ago, you celebrated the first Passover. Your fathers did receive manna and bread that rained down from heaven, but they did eat of the bread and they hungered again. But Jesus said, if any man eats of me, he'll never hunger again. Then they took the cup. It was the third cup out of four. It was the cup of redemption. And the Lord said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the covenant of Passover through the Lamb's blood. The Lamb's blood was taken and placed in the shape of a cross or the doorpost that when the death angel would come that night, Abaddon, that he would pass over your house. And Jesus said, now, I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And my Father is about to take my blood and place in the shape of a cross. And whosoever eats of the blood of this bread and drink of this cup, just remember me. That's why we take communion. Because I'm remembering of the goodness of Christ. So this morning we have one more opportunity to say thank you. We have one more opportunity to celebrate Holy Communion to say, I'm so thankful for the body of Christ and the blood of Christ has been applied to my life. I'm so thankful that I'm in Christ this morning and He will nourish me and He'll cause me to grow. Father, bless this cup and bless this bread and let it find health and healing to those partake of it. In Jesus' name, people of God say amen.